As you know, this is the measure of an episode. Our continuing mission is to explore what makes a Star Trek episode a good Star Trek episode, and not just good TV. I'm Cappy. I'm Jonathan. So that wasn't just one of us sped up really fast. (laughs) Yes. Today we've got a special guest star of my oldest daughter, where her name has now been revealed. It's Cappy, C-A-P-P-Y. Do you want to say hi? Which you already just did. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) And we're very pleased to have Cappy on the show. And Uh, so. Yeah. So you tell us, what are we, what are we talking about today? Our random episode generator generated, uh, where did I write it down? Uh, and it, it, the original series, season two, episode nine, Metamorphosis. And the blurb is the Enterprise crew members encounter a mysterious energy cloud that pulls them down to planet Gamma Canaris N. Okay, Cappy, did you like this episode? No. <laughs> no? <laughs> no. Oh. <laughs> what was your least favorite part of the episode? When she didn't understand what the captain was saying. You mean when she's talking to her? When when who didn't understand the the the, the human girl or the cloud girl? The cloud girl. Confused. Yeah. <laughs> Although that was very interesting to me uh, because the, the, the I, that was the first time that we'd gotten really any to jump ahead a little bit that we'd right. gotten really kind of explanation as to how the universal translators work. Yeah. Oh thought, yeah. Yeah, I had thought that it just sort of does a on-the-fly translation and then spits out whatever they were saying in your own native language using the pitch and, and inflection of the original person saying it. That's not apparently how the – at least this universal translator works. Right. It, it works by – I should have written down what Spock said, but it was a nice little bit of science fiction as to how it works. It sort of is able to read – energy waves from from living beings and is able to uh discern like what you want to say right kind of like yeah basic concepts are universal um so that was very interesting i don't think next gen ever does that they never talk about it with that kind of with that level of like detail yeah it it does happen in enterprise uh but we yeah we've jumped we've jumped way ahead I liked it when the the stranger was just not scared of them and just ran straight up towards them. <laughs> yeah, he was running really fast too, like like maybe a little too fast. Like maybe he should have gotten tasered, before, like <laughs> right with how excited he was and just how friendly he was instantly. <laughs> I mean, he was he was not running towards them; he was charging them. Right? Yeah, yeah. But as an army of one, and you know, against three, I felt I feel like they felt pretty safe. <laughs> yeah even with the weapons were, were out they had the vulcan death grip exactly well they, yeah i mean spock is like the linebacker of the group like i don't think anybody can get through spock right i thought what was interesting is when why was she so cranky at the all of them and she was like i want to go home she was very cranky and well she's like i blame you for everything james <laughs> it's like whoa <laughs> clearly Clearly, there is a history here. Right. <laughs> we won't go into what kind, but clearly a history, especially considering it was James T. Kirk. Yeah, she was very cranky, and we don't really – they don't really explain – I mean, I guess you could blame it on her sickness, but it's not established that that's what it is. I think she just wants to – She want, I think she's mostly cranky because she is she, – she needs to get to her job. Right. Her job is uh, being a diplomat of some kind at Epsilon 3. Sure. Four. Yeah. One of, one of the Seven. lower numbers. 
No. You're the math guy. You can figure it out. Six. So one thing that I actually really liked is, so we start out inside the shuttlecraft, and nobody is driving the shuttlecraft, right? Right. Um, which, which is what I always have wanted from, from science fiction. No one would ever drive this stuff. Computers would be doing it all the time. And that's what's happening. It seems like they're sort of like when, when, when the cloud comes or whenever they're, whatever damage starts happening um, and the, the lights turn down and suddenly it's like the boat ride from Willy Wonka. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, then they start sort of doing stuff, but they're never really actively driving it. Well, yeah, but also especially after the cloud took over, like the cloud took over controls. So, you know, I think, I think Spock did try to do something and he said, you know, we've lost control of the, the shuttlecraft and the, the ambassador was, was like, you need, you need to take us back now. And Kirk, you know, basically says, shut up. We're doing what we can, which is nothing. So we just have to wait. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So they, they land on the planet and I don't remember what happens first, but Spock says he makes some sort of measurement and he says the environment is totally suitable for human life. Right. And I, I had this thing where Spock then proceeds to walk outside and then keel over. Because it, he, <laughs> cause it's not suitable for Vulcan life. <laughs> he forgot to make that, you know. Right. He forgot to, to do that test. <laughs> it's a subtle but important distinction. There's one element in the, in the sky that's just lethal yeah. to Vulcans. <laughs> he keeps doing that like Spock, 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 Spock. Not again. <laughs> The needs of the many, Captain. <laughs> yeah, he just goes out there. He just keeps trying to kill himself <laughs> for the needs of the many. <sighs> and it, it sort of occurred to me when they finally get outside of the shuttle that it's almost the same landscape as every other episode whenever they beam down to something. And, I mean, granted, they were kind of up on a hill this time, maybe you could argue, but it's always the same thing. It's like, I want someone to say, like, funny, we keep ending up on the same damn planet. Oh yeah, and like, like how does this get- right, the planets are always rocky. There's there's one episode that I can think of in the first season where it is just a lush green environment. Um and they're they're given everything that they think of. Um but but besides that, yeah, like every every alien planet just looks rocky and miserable. And I think we can you can always tell obviously when they are shooting on a on a set, on a stage or when they're actually outside. Right. Yeah, on the studio lot. <laughs> and the stuff that I've seen of this show when they're actually outside, like in the grass, it always feels like it's somebody's backyard. <laughs> it, it never feels like they actually did any kind of scouting, right? It sort of just feels like, well, we need a grassy knoll. Hey, that one looks good. Over by the parking lot right there. Let's go. <laughs> right. Well, and I, I think part of that is probably also because they, they wanted to make sure they had enough, as much budget as possible for the special effects. Um, that would right. be my thought. And so there really wasn't a whole lot of effort put into scout locate locating or location scouting. There we go. Um, we're not locating scouts. We're scouting locations. Um, and they had to pick the places that would be the closest for the crew to go to. So the equipment wouldn't have to travel very far either. That's a good point. Like lights and stuff. It was not. Yeah. Filmmaking, I guess, still isn't very portable, but probably much less portable. Back in the 60s. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we've gotten much better with lighting and equipment. It's gotten a lot smaller, so it doesn't take yeah. as long. So the guy charges them, and he he like he he doesn't sort of jog up to them, like as we said. Like he kind of he's at full speed, and then he kind of comes to a sliding halt in front of them. It's really weird. I know. <laughs> well, because he's you know he says, "Are you real? Are you 
You're not a mirage. It so, wouldn't be a Star Trek episode without a little misogyny. Yeah, obviously. And so he immediately gloms on to the girl and talks about how beautiful she is yep. as though she's not there. Yeah. She's like, and a beautiful one at that, like not talking to her. Right. Like he's like talking to <laughs> while them. staring straight at her. Right. It's like, I mean, the only next step you could have taken to escalate this would be ask for a high five from all the guys. Like, am I right? Type of high, high five. Right. You know? Uh, and so I don't know. It's just, it's, and he was supposed to be a good guy. Right. Yeah. I, 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 for me, I don't know if this is because this is 2020 and that was 1969, but it, it wasn't charming. It wasn't, it wasn't, oh, he's being, he's paying her a compliment. It was just creepy. Right. It just read as super creepy. I was like, oh, this should be interesting. Like this is, he's going to be a bad guy. This is them seating the bad guy. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, that's, that's totally what I thought too, because of actually how friendly he was to everybody. Um, I thought that for yeah. sure he was going to turn out to be like the one who brought them down or something. If no um, electronic device can work, then how is he scanning him? That's confusing. <laughs> it's a very, actually, very good point. Did yeah. they ever say? Did they say that all electronic devices don't work, or did they just say the ship doesn't work? Yeah, they said they said the ship didn't have anything wrong, and it should have been working just fine. But for some reason, nothing was working, um, oh. and his communicator wasn't working. So, I, I, it would stand to reason that if all other electronic devices weren't working then the tricorder shouldn't have been working either. So maybe it wasn't working. Maybe Bones was just trying to make Kirk feel better. Uh, he, he looks human. Everything that I can tell about him says that he's human. It's also, I mean, it was also very unclear. Why, why couldn't the cloud heal the lady, the sick lady? Right. If she was healing Cochran, which I was surprised to hear his name, by the way, when they finally revealed who he was. Oh, I know. I was, yeah. And I, that yeah. that means nothing on the original airing of this show. No, zero. And so, but now, like, anyone who's ever seen First Contact and, like, they watch this episode, they'd be like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. Why the cloud didn't, the cloud girl didn't want to heal her? I think she didn't want to because maybe she would want to go to the other boy so she didn't want her to take him away from her yeah she was maybe a little jealous that's possible never i never considered that that's a good point yeah it wasn't so much that she couldn't it was that she chose not to wouldn't yeah yeah um (laughs) i never really thought about that they never really say that explicitly but that seems to me i mean because it would seem that she can heal anything right so she was choosing not to at that point. Yeah. She's like, nope, sorry. That lady's dead. You're just going to have to stay with me. <laughs> oh, darn. I really I really like the line where um, uh, they say that Cochran died 150 years ago. And Spock says, you wear your age very well. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's been practicing his human, you know, his humanisms. Right? right. So they get to Cochran's house and they make absolutely zero effort to make this a futuristic looking house, it is perfectly lifted from the late sixties decor and dropped into this episode. Right. <laughs> like, like those super flat, long chairs. That uh-huh. are like, right. And, <laughs> and like, you know how they shoot in someone's backyard when they shoot outside, they shot in somebody's living room right. because they ran out of money. <laughs> yeah. They just pulled it. Well, they pulled it from, um, just like the, the neighboring set of leave it to beaver. So the cloud appears, the cloud lady appears. And we watch, like, so they do this thing where they show Kirk, and they pan over to McCoy, and then they pan over to Spock. And it takes, like, 
25% too long to the point where I thought if they were just panned over one more and, and shown Leslie Nielsen. Oh yeah. At it, yep. Like it felt <laughs> such like such a comedic moment it totally because did. of the way that well, they did it. And yeah. the music hit it too. It was da da. That's right. That's what did it. Da da. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly why it felt that way. <laughs> and what if Leslie Nielsen was the fourth guy? That would be amazing. <laughs> Well, especially because at that time he was a dramatic actor. He wasn't a comedic actor. Airplane was his first comedic role, which is what made it so funny. But here's what's but here's what's funny. He's always a dramatic actor. Oh, when I know. Is he ever, when is he ever being funny? Right. In the sense of when Will Ferrell is on screen, he's being funny. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, I think I think there are a couple times in uh, The Naked Gun where he he is he, he makes a goofy face. I guess you're right. Okay, so one of the things, like along with the the cloud, was the the heightened emotions. It seemed so fast for everybody to get so mad at each other in such a short amount of time. When Kirk was was saying, you know, okay, buddy, like we've we've put up with this long enough. I'm like, what's long enough? Like, I get that you've got a ship to go back to, but like, <laughs> you haven't given this guy really a chance to explain anything. Okay, so so this is where this is where Lost has damaged you. Probably. Because when weird stuff starts happening, people start asking questions, right? And they don't take just a, a vacant stare as an answer, right? <laughs> Hoping, like, waiting waiting for the flashback to start. Like, <laughs> Kirk was right. Like, he's like, he should have started shaking him by the shoulders. Like, what are we doing here? Like, we, like why are we here? And he wouldn't answer him. He, like, and, for, and honestly, there wasn't much of a reason why he would be cagey about it. Right. It's not like he was hiding anything. No. And he didn't realize he was in love with the space cloud until later. Right, yeah. But he he was also wanting to avoid saying, like, you were brought here to keep me company forever. Did he know that? I Well, I I think that he knew that he knew that the cloud brought brought the people. And I think that he knew that it was because he had told the cloud that he was lonely. Um, I don't know if he, like, because he seemed kind of simple in this. Um, so I don't know if he pieced- he did seem like a dude bro, like a sixties dude bro, right? A little bit, yeah, yeah. Just speaking of the dude bro, like he has been on that planet for one hundred fifty years. Think about how much time that is. Like the last time, well, one hundred fifty years ago was eighteen sixty. Like so much has happened, and so much time has passed. How? Did he know that he was supposed to still wear clothes and have that brooch on? Like, there's literally no one around. What made him think every day, I better get dressed? I like the idea that he concluded at a certain point that people would just no longer be wearing clothing. I feel like if you are in complete isolation, there is no reason to be modest. And I feel like over time, 150 years, like one and a half centuries... You would kind of forget that clothes were a thing. I mean, he he would be so far. He would be cr- a crazy person. Absolutely. Because it's not even. I mean, if you if you were to become immortal, and and exist for the next hundred and fifty years, at least p- things would be changing around you. The novelty of your current time, the current year, would change. Right. So you could. You, I mean, there's enough to do on this planet that you could exist probably indefinitely and not get bored. Right. right? But when you're just on, like, you have the same house that's obviously stuck in the 1960s. <laughs> he hasn't done any redecorating. I think that you would just, you would go crazy. And he said, I know he said that they have a garden or something like that. Why he would need a garden when apparently uh, this cloud can, will provide everything that you need. Right. Because 
I mean, the, the clothing, I'm assuming that even in the future, the clothing will eventually wear out, right? You, he's been given new clothing. He's been given new material things. I guess he made he made some things out of his old ship, but I didn't get the sense that he made his house. Did he make his house? I, I felt like he did. Uh, I, I feel like he said something about how he reutilized. Um, I can't think of the right word, but. You know, he just he took pieces of his ship and, and re restructured it to be his house. Did you get the impression that she could create stuff, like create matter? No, he he said something about his garden, about how like she she's made that area fertile in a way there where he can grow whatever he needs. Right. Okay. Um. So I I don't I it didn't seem like the the lava creatures where they could just build anything out of nothing, but it seemed like the cloud was able to manipulate things in a certain way where it would help him. I don't think that the planet, like, she completely restructured the planet to have oxygen for a human. Well, we don't know. I, I mean, we, we don't. You're she, right. He but could I, have. I, yeah. But I, I, given given the fact that she would die if she left the planet, um, I don't, I, you know, I don't think it was one of those omniscient beings um, or omnipotent beings where they can do what you're thinking just because you're thinking it. That was right. the impression I although, got. I, although I will say that of the episodes that we've watched, there's been a lot of sort of magical things happening and not a lot of not a lot of science fictiony in terms of of the 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 element of the plot that moves everything forward, like the cloud lady, the the magical cloud that makes its way through the ship on on whichever episode we watched. Uh-huh. For a science fiction show, the the I'm trying to think of the word. What's the the screenwriting word that pushes things along not the MacGuffin, but you know what i mean yeah that element seems to be very magical it's it's at least in the episodes we've watched it hasn't been a breaking down engine or something like that or it's it's always kind of just a cloud (laughs) they've used that twice now it's a cloud that can do do almost anything right that can read your mind it's like a very it seems very fantastic versus grounded in science fiction sure um but I mean, then there is that old adage of um, technology so far advances indistinguishable from magic. I suppose. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that in terms of what we're seeing, you would expect there to be a lot of science fiction plot devices as opposed to this magical thing happens. I mean, th- this was a very I mean, the only science fiction that happens in this show for me is Spock. Spock is our science fiction anchor, which in the <laughs> another section, another another segment where we call why do we like data so much? Uh, <laughs> I think I think that's that's why we like data so much as well is because he is our science fiction anchor. He's always giving us the, the scientific plausibility. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And that's always been the interesting part for me, I guess. I mean, the character yeah. stuff obviously is fun, too, but wrapped around you know, he wrapped the character around the science fiction stuff. And I just, I think it's, it's interesting. Well, yeah, that's why we like it. Well, in in this episode in particular, (laughs) I like that Spock remodulates the translator to, uh, to speak with the cloud, but he starts to explain with techno babble and Kirk cuts him off. Yes. He's like, yes. If I widen the parameters of Kirk is like, I don't care. Just do it. Like, can you do it? Get it done. That's your, (laughs) that's your area of expertise. That happens twice in this episode where, Spock wants to ask all these different questions. Oh, I know. <laughs> right. And, He's like, and, it's a perfect and, time. And Kirk's like, not I, now. Yeah. Like, Spock, 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 quiet. You're Kirk blurking me. Oh, nice. Thanks. That'll be our first t-shirt, by the way. <laughs> 
Nice. And I'll just it'll it'll just be a stoic look from Spock on the t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I I actually do want that shirt now. Like we need to hurry up and make that. We need we need to have enough of a fan base, enough of a following. I do wonder how much it would cost to license the likeness of Spock for a t-shirt. It's right. probably not prohibitive, but we would need definitely need to kickstart it. See, I, I'm sure it's thousands I of I feel dollars. like anybody who knows the original series, like if they saw a shirt that said you're Kirk blurking me, like they would absolutely know everything they need to know about that shirt. And Wait, is it you're Kirk blocking me or Kirk what what are you saying? I, Kirk blurking. What does blurking mean? Is that, or is that part of it? Well, because it rhymes with Kirk, just like block rhymes with cock. Like, oh, oh, <laughs> I get it. No, it's still funny. We can still do it. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> now that you've explained it to death, I see how that would be humorous. Well, we'll put the explanation on the back of the t-shirt. <laughs> just because blurk rhymes with Kirk. <laughs> the same way block, dot, dot, dot. Right. So this is why we understand comedy. You have to explain the comedy right. so people can get it. Exactly. The more you explain it, the funnier it is. The funnier it gets because you get all the layers. <laughs> uh, see, there are three things that are funny. Reference, <laughs> reference, and reference. Now, uh-huh. see? the yep. second reference is funny because I referenced the first reference. But the third reference is even funnier because it references the second reference, which is already referencing the first reference. There's so many layers. I get Cappy back in here. We need to test this out. <laughs> yeah, if she wasn't going to leave, she's long gone. Yeah, like, <laughs> the house is deserted. <laughs> so if you guys do want that Kirk Blurking shirt, uh, we we need to have a little bit more of a following. Um, so share Excellent it with your transition. friends. Thank you. Thank you. Share it with your friends. Uh, let people know about this. Uh, if you're on Twitter, uh, we are too. Wherever you've listened to it, leave a review so people have seen that you've seen it and everybody wants to be like you. So they're going to listen too. And if you if you want to hear so many things that were deleted from this episode, you can be a part of the Patreon. And um, just depending on how much you want to be involved, you can uh, subscribe to higher tiers. So one of the things that I really really liked was first off the b plot showed up when it was necessary i did like i thought it was cool that they didn't have the b plot right away about halfway through the episode scotty was like man they should be here by now well and scotty always looks like he doesn't want to be in charge of the bridge he does (laughs) he always just looks begrudgingly there because he's in that section of the command or that hierarchy of command god i'm just sixth in command like how do i get up here that should not happen Um, but what was cool was they, for the first time that I can think of, they used a um, a technique that should be used in space and underwater, but it wouldn't be needed on land. And so he said, do a spherical sweep of the area. And the, like that, that makes sense. You wouldn't just do like, I mean, I guess it could be simplified down to do a scan, but the fact that he said spherical sweep, like you would have to go out in a sphere, which means you're hitting all areas on the X, Y, and Z. It's sort of the thing that you like, or or rather didn't like about ne- the next-gen space stuff, is that everybody's on the same 2D plane. Right. They always meet each other in the same 2D plane, whereas this is taking into account the three-dimensional space, just not in the ship. Exactly. So they, they make a plan, make a plan to leave. So Spock goes back to the ship to try and fix the ship, and the cloud shows up. For some reason, he throws himself to the ground, and then the, <laughs> the cloud destroys the ship, right? Yeah, the alignment I, between I, the special effects and the choreography did not seem quite right. Yeah, I don't know why he threw himself to the ground. It seemed counterproductive to fixing the ship. But then, <laughs> but you know, seen it coming. Vul- yeah. Vulcan, <laughs> yeah, you know, the, the classic <laughs> Vulcan play dead technique. <laughs> 
I had a nickel. Very aggressive playing dead. Just be so happy. If you had a nickel. Oh, I see what you did. You <laughs> completely subverted non-segment. my expectations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they devise this electric scramble thing, which is kind of fun. Yep. They use his, I guess, his radio or you know his FM radio that he built. Yeah. Oh, I wanted to say back in my whole magical thing, there are a lot of proto Q characters. Right. Uh, so yeah. So this 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 cloud, although like you said, not like the rock monster from Savage Curtain, the cloud is still very powerful, and to the point of being able to heal people, bring them back to life, embody them. Yes, well, bring ships down from afar. I mean, it has a lot of control over the material world that is unexplainable. Right. Well, and so apparently it can leave for a short amount of time. Well, yeah, I guess it said within 24 hours I'll be dead. So it can leave the planet kind of like holding its, its breath because it went out into right. space to capture the shuttle and then immediately brought it back. So it's not like it is stuck to the planet, but it can't survive for any length of time off the planet. Right. Um, yeah. But the it also didn't cure the lady either. Um, it, it, she she kind of said, like, if we had waited any longer, she would have been dead and that would have been the end of it. Um but somehow, like, the two essences combined of, what's her name, Hedford and um, and the, the cloud, like, they, they were able to just get rid of the virus somehow. A lot of the science fiction was when, actually, when Scotty's on the bridge, where they're talking about how, like, how the, the or the, the mystery of the missing shuttlecraft. Yep. It's a lot of kind of fun science fiction stuff where they're trying to figure it out. Well, and then, you know, they're like, they're fine. It's like trying to find a needle in a haystack. And he's like, then we better start digging. Right. You know, or whatever. Yeah. Um, so when Kirk is talking to the cloud there, I'm sure you saw, like there were so, there was so much of the Kirk hands when like, he's talking about love and it's <laughs> yeah. just trying to, trying to hold on to that ball that somebody is pulling away from you and you know you you want to keep it but they keep pulling on it and so you're you're getting pulled forward because they're pulling on the ball but then you have to pull the ball back like i feel like that's what kirk is you know love it you can't feel it it's you can't be explained it's you know (laughs) it's him trying to find what the script says like (laughs) Trying to stumble upon the script right. as he's talking. Yeah, and there was there was so much of that. I mean, I genuinely think that it's it's not bad. It's just so overdone where he he is constantly looking like he is struggling to find the right word. That's how his acting technique is. Is it a technique or is it just his or is it just how he thinks acting? It's not a technique. It's just what he thinks it is. Right. Well, I mean, to a certain extent, it is it is a technique because otherwise you always sound like you know what you're saying, which is what. Nimoy does, you know, as Spock and um, most people do when they're when they're acting because they've memorized their lines. And so they've learned to just put the proper inflection in. So it sounds like they're saying it for the very first time. Um, But to have a speech pattern where you are constantly (laughs) I'm trying to avoid ums. And in the process, I'm speaking like Kirk. I'm listening to myself and I'm like constantly trying to find the right words <laughs> gives you these pauses that would otherwise not be there if you knew in advance what you were going to say. Yeah. Somewhere in the future, uh, he's listening uh, <laughs> and he's like, yeah, it's not so easy. Is it? <laughs> it's a lot more natural to pause like that if you're not using ums, isn't it? <laughs> 
<laughs> like you're trying to find the right word. Comment. Unsubscribe. <laughs> no, no, no. Share first. Talk about how we're so bad. <laughs> so when Kirk puts on his diplomat hat, right? Oh, yeah. That it, was such a good moment. Yeah. It, it felt – it actually felt very proto-Picard. It sounded like the dialogue sounded like something Picard would say when trying to reason with some cloud. Absolutely. Like but it was yeah. like the, the moment before that where Bones was like, you are – you know, remember – like you're coming at this as a soldier, but remember we are a diplomatic ship or something like that, you know, which really well, he says you've had you've had diplomatic training. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And I was like, well, he has <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> not so far. Where's that episode? <laughs> Kirk just in a <laughs> at a desk writing <laughs> bones. Always they always give these lines to bones where it's, you know, we're all different and that's OK. Philosophy. That's that seems to be the most consistent theme of all of these different episodes. And I, I, I'm noticing that it's always Bones that says this stuff. I wonder if that's on purpose or if they just feel like, well, we haven't – Bones haven't had anything to say lately, so we should give him this. <laughs> well, I feel like as a as a doctor, you know, the, the Hippocratic Oath you is to do no harm and to help those who need it as far as I understand it regardless of kind of which side they're on, you know. Um, yeah. And it, it happens in, in war – on this planet. And I feel like, I feel like that is, if there is somebody who is going to have that approach, it would definitely be the doctor. Well, and he would have the most insight really as to, because he, you know, he is a doctor and has probably studied more beings than anybody else and would know that we're, we're very different, but that makes us all the same in that kind of way. Right. right? We all bleed the same blood, except for you right. goblins. You bleed green. Or clouds. Clouds don't <laughs> clouds bleed. bleed. Right. Kill them all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you should definitely, Jim, you got to kill the cloud. It doesn't bleed. <laughs> He's xenophobic to those who don't have it. <laughs> don't bleed. <laughs> if it bleeds, we can kill it. What if it doesn't bleed? All right, start shooting at it. Just start shooting. Grab a vacuum. <laughs> well, then it turns into Ghostbusters. <laughs> so there's a there's a scene where Bones, I don't know, I forgot what they're doing, but he has a Band-Aid on his, one of his fingers when they're like messing with something. Oh, I didn't even notice. Okay. Yeah, and I wonder, I, I was trying to remember if that anything happened to him, but I wonder if that was just one of those things where he had cut himself during filming and they put a bandage over it. And they felt like, well, everybody's TV screen is eight inches wide. No one's going to know. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't have the wherewithal to to track it to see if it showed up from scene to scene. Right. So they um, – the the lady who uh, – Hedford, um, she actually did get sick. Um, not not during the filming but after the episode was done. Um, she, she got better. But um, they had to bring her back for reshoots and – she had lost a lot of weight and there was – she had to um, wear the scarf around her neck to kind of avoid the the weight loss. And I wonder if really? – Yeah, I wonder if something had happened to uh, DeForest, um, who actually prefers Jack. Uh, but I wonder if something happened to him during that. And so the, the Band-Aid was during the reshoots. There, there weren't oh, any notes about good, the, the Band-Aid, so I, I can't tell you what actually happened. Okay. So was the sickness chlamydia? Because there is, you know, every female day player actually did get sick after working on Star Trek and left with chlamydia. <laughs> but Billy didn't know anything about that. So there's a point where, okay, so the, the, the alien cloud merges with the sick lady and magically she's okay. And they do this thing where, which I love, where when she speaks, she says we. Like, we are not ready for that. We can't leave. And I, I loved that. I was like, oh, God, I want a, a movie now just about her. Right. Because they don't really go into it, who's speaking. 
I get the sense that the cloud is speaking and it's sort of taken over <laughs> and the, the actual doctor is now trapped in her own body and can't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, uh, she could, well, I guess kind of, because she also said we, we have all the memories of the Headford. Yes. But that doesn't mean that she's, that she has any autonomy over herself. They're not, they're not merged into a single being like, uh, what's his name from when they merged Tuvok and Neelix. <laughs> right. Uh, Craptacular Tuvix. 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 Yeah. yeah. So I, I, don't, I would love to, but anyway, it was very intriguing. It may have been my favorite part of the, of the whole show. So it wasn't chlamydia, <laughs> but when you said that, I was like, wow, that sounds, that sounds right. <laughs> It just felt right, didn't it? It, it did. And the reason why is because it, right. it was pneumonia. A symptom of <laughs> chlamydia, as you as you know. What? <laughs> you have pneumonia. How? Chlamydia. How? <laughs> oh, there's so many layers to this. I liked that whole section, by the way. So there's a moment <laughs> where she says... Uh, you know, let it, we're going to go and I want to feel the sun on my face. We're going to go, I would love to go out. That, I mean, that, that means they're going to go have sex, right? Like she wants, the cloud has never gotten to have sex with this guy who she's known for 150 years and has been lusting after him. And they're going to go have sex. I'm assuming. Oh yeah. Yeah. All kinds of cloud sex. Sun on my face means, (laughs) and I don't see how Kirk's smile, like his knowing smile, he kind of smirks at him. He's like, yeah, go ahead. Right. Do the same thing. I'm next. (laughs) Don't want to taint it. He puts his figurative quarter on the, uh, (laughs) actually I would have loved it if they made her a new character on the enterprise where she's this dual. Yes. Character that like comes in and out. You know what I mean? Like it would have been amazing. Right. But I mean, there's so many times where it would have been so cool if they had kept the character to explore or, spread the the conflict out over a couple episodes but you know it it had to it was it it was episodic so it had to reset and there's not enough room on those sets for another character it's just not right like physically not enough room yeah cochran and the lady what's her name heffron hedford hedford where they kiss for the first time and so the guy leans with his the back of his head toward the camera okay kiss her yeah and he he kind of goes in and and basically obscures her face entirely. Right. And I was wondering, are they actually kissing? Or now that you say that she was sick, I wonder if they actually even kissed. Right. If they sort of like implied that she kissed, though that they kissed, and that they didn't, because it doesn't even look like. I mean, there's like one of those zero chemistry things where it's just like, oh my god, like this is I don't not feeling anything <laughs> at all. It was definitely a better shot than the the episode with the other cloud when Chekhov was kissing the Klingon woman, where he was very obviously kissing his thumbs. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, actually. Maybe maybe actually maybe the actors were were not allowed to kiss or something. Although Kirk, maybe that was part of Kirk's contract. Only I do the kissing. Right. <laughs> Only I get to have my lips mashed against somebody else's. Right, exactly. So when they're when they're leaving, I actually thought like they were they were leaving this ambassador on the planet, <laughs> and and I was like, I feel like that's going to raise some questions, you know. Even though Cochrane is like, don't tell anybody I'm here. I feel like Kirk could be like, I kind of have to. Like they're going to question me as to where she went. <laughs> She's dead. That's the end of it, right? I know. But then Spock, Spock kind of said, you know, what about this war? <laughs> Kirk's like, eh, there will be other ambassadors. It was the <laughs> fastest B plot wrap up. In television history. 
<laughs> took less than two seconds. Right. Um, so apparently there, that's the, um, the revised ending. The original ending was Spock asking if, because there were two women in there, if that made Cockrum a big, a bigamist. <laughs> well, wait a minute. The doctor says essentially every life form has a male and a female, which is just even on the planet earth inherently false. Right. <laughs> like that's not necessarily true with anything. I mean, I understood why they said that. It's very relatable. Obviously, she would be a woman because it couldn't have been a man. Now, that would have been ballsy. Yeah. If it had been a man. Right. right? And then it inhabits Spock. Well, no, and then still inhabits Hedford. I would rather see Spock do a, like, remember those movies from the 80s where the, the father and the son switch places? Yeah. And the, the father's all goofy. Right. You know? No, I think I think it would be fun to to have Hedford, you know, have the male inside her and then have Cochran, like, have that inner tumult. Everybody switches. So Kirk goes into Bones. Bones goes into Cochran. Cochran goes into Kirk. I feel like I feel like there's an episode somewhere where that happens. Oh, I thought you meant <laughs> I thought you meant there's an episode in there somewhere. We'll work it out. <laughs> we'll write it. No, I, I feel like there actually is one a Star Trek episode somewhere where multiple characters. I know that's happened on another TV show, but I think it happened in Star Trek where characters lose their essence into another person. I'm sure it does. It actually sounds familiar now that you say that. Right. Yeah. So then they they wrap up the B plot in two seconds flat, and then the episode ends. Yeah. Right. That's that's he's like I'm sure they'll find another lady. To wrap up this war, right. he doesn't seem to give a <laughs> two craps about exactly about this epsilon three war. It's like I yeah, <laughs> right the war. I could not <laughs> it's tear a war. Less. Right, like, how many hundreds of thousands of people are dying? Whatever, Cochrane's happy. Let's leave her. And that was the end of it. That was it. Yeah, well, and I feel like if if that had been Picard, Picard would have been like, I I understand your desires and I understand your your reluctance to leave, but there are hundreds of thousands of lives that depend on you being there and he would have had to and and the the cloud would have had to leave the body and they would have had to take her right away to the the ship to get her medicine or the cloud would have had to go do the mediation knowing that it was going to die yeah i think i think you're right i think there would have been some sort of sacrifice that somebody makes yeah that like the 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 cloud chooses to kill all of the people in the war and it upsets Picard because they've 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 ended next gen episodes like that where it's not a happy ending. Right. But this is a happy ending. Oh, yeah. As far as I can tell. Well, yeah, except for the war thing. But yes, no, it's fine. <laughs> They're going to find another lady and, right. and the war will. But you're right. I think there would have been some sort of sacrifice made by by one side unless they just left an iPad with FaceTime and she could have, you know, di- diplomat, diplomat, diplomated, <laughs> diplomatized. <laughs> yeah. Dip- yeah, that's the word. <laughs> So the last episode um, with Loaxana, um, where I kind of looked up the stuff about the writer and how he was not happy with the episode either. And it was the last one he wrote. And he actually had a nom de plume was the word that I was trying to think of. Um, had me look up this one. Um, it was written by Gene Kuhn. I don't know if you saw that or not. But Gene Kuhn is basically the Jack Kirby to Gene Roddenberry Stanley. Like he, Really? Interesting. Yeah. Oh. He came up with basically everything in the Star Trek universe. He came up with the Klingons. He came up with the United Federation of Planets. He came up with Starfleet Command um, as as the Enterprise's operating authority. He came up with the Prime Directive. Um, he came up with Khan. He came up with uh, the Eugenics War. Um, uh, and like that's... Uh, plus Zephram Cochran, which, you know, 
wasn't too important after until first contact but like right. i mean that so many of those things are what makes star trek star trek and i, I it always makes me wonder did they did he invent or did they invent star trek sort of over the course of many years and like of sitting down you know drinking with your drinking buddies and sort of just slowly kind of mapping it out or was it a an earnest i'm going to write a tv show and I'm going to like sort of the way Joss Whedon might write a TV show where you've been assigned to this TV show, make the universe and they sit down and make it or, you know what I mean? Like, right. What was the inception or the, the birth? How did, how did it come to be? Right. I'm sure we can find out. I'm sure you can find out. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's going to require a little bit more research or <laughs> the potential guest on our podcast. Right. Gene Roddenberry will be our guest <laughs> on the next episode. So please, please tune in. <laughs> <laughs> He'll sound surprisingly like a 10-year-old girl. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to say not a Star Trek, not a good Star Trek episode. There just wasn't enough. I mean, aside from uh, all the Spock stuff and the Scotty stuff, it just wasn't inherent enough to the plot line. And I just don't feel like it. it I mean, maybe I, we're getting like this is episode 15, I think. We're getting there where I'm thinking maybe we need to revisit our criteria. But at this point, I didn't think it was a Star Trek episode. See, and I thought it was. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. obviously there was all the, the sci-fi stuff, which wasn't integral to the plot, which previously there was um, the Neelix episode, which you said if you were invested enough, it didn't matter how integral it was to the plot. So um, I would say that alone should give you reason to say it was a Star Trek plot. But in addition to that, um, it dealt with... It dealt with an alien being that was holding them on the planet, and they convinced it to let them go through the power of love. You know, it was a sci-fi conflict with a non-sci-fi solution. I suppose. I don't really look at it as a sci-fi conflict, though, just because there wasn't what, – what was the sci-fi conflict that their – this alien being was magically making all of their electronics not work? Like it wasn't a – that was just – that was a device to make sure they could remain on the planet so they had to reason with it. But it, it to me, there wasn't enough, I don't know, there wasn't enough procedural stuff, right? I was kind of excited that they were going to spend a little bit of time on the Enterprise with Scotty going through all the mystery stuff, which would have been half of an Enterprise episode, or a, not Enterprise, <laughs> uh, uh, next-gen episode, where they're just sort of figuring stuff out and going through all the, all the procedural stuff, where, you know, I think, I mean, it's probably less than a minute, right, that they spend on the Enterprise in this episode. Sure. So, I mean, that, that, that could be what I'm looking for is not just technobabble like we've talked about before, but, but some sort of expression of it, some sort of like take us through something, bring us along in your, in your exploration of the mystery. Yeah, but, you know, again, I feel like you're saying that's going to make it a good Star Trek episode, but I'm not arguing whether or not it was a good Star Trek episode, which I think it was, but... I'm saying it was a Star Trek episode. Now, right. you and I can disagree on the quality of the the Star Trek episode, but... I liked the episode. I thought it was entertaining, for sure. Um, and I, I was surprised. I mean, it sort of kept me guessing on what was going to happen. Right. I actually, I, I should have, I feel like I should have seen it coming that the cloud was going to embody the lady. Right. Um, I actually thought it was just going to make her better. Um, That's what I thought, too. Yeah. And then, you know, she just randomly came out of the the hut and she's like i'm all better we are all better we're all better that's not weird (laughs) something tells me that sentence is a lie (laughs) 
Cool. All, All right. right. Let's see what we're watching next. Yeah. Next Generation, Season 6, Episode 9, The Quality of Life. Original air date, November 16th, 1992. And the blurb, When LaForge is assigned to survey a new mining development, Dr. Farallon 